the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. He had a manager of his household, which meant that Joanna traveled in different circles. She was kind of more, you know, higher up. She was kind of higher echelon, living the social life. It's interesting to note that here you have Mary Magdalene, so, you know, the demonic diva, and you have uh, Joanna as a socialite, and yet Jesus brings together people from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures, and he brings them together under one banner that he is Lord. We often hear about the 12 apostles who traveled with Jesus and learned directly from him, but today you'll meet a few additional students of the Savior. Pastor Gary will tell you about a few of the women who traveled with Jesus, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, among others. These women were from opposite backgrounds, yet both found life in Jesus. That's who Christ is. He unites all people, no matter the background, gender, or social status. All of humanity can come and find life in the Son of God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, let's go to Luke's Gospel. We're in chapter 8 and we're continuing in, in the, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Luke 8 is really divided into two sections. Uh, the first section, verses 1 through 21, have to do with the words of Jesus. And then the last part of chapter 8, verses 22 to the end, have to do with the works of Jesus. So he's going to do some teaching, the first part of chapter 8, and then working some miracles in the last part of chapter 8. So we have both the words and the works of, of Jesus here revealed to us. So I'm just going to start right here in chapter 8. Verse 1 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And among them, here's a list, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's pause there as we look at how this chapter opens. Uh, We see that Jesus was, you know, an itinerant preacher. He went around from town to town in the region of the Galilee, and he's preaching the good news, the kingdom of God, and and, uh, he's helping people to open their eyes to the fact that he is Messiah, the one who's fulfilling more than 300 Old Testament scriptures in himself, so that they would recognize that he is the one who was promised to come, the Son of God, the Messiah. And in the process of going from town to town, it tells us here that the 12, meaning his own apostles, were with him, as were uh, several women, and it says at the, at, uh, also in verse 3, and many others. So please note that when Jesus you know, moved about, he wasn't only traveling with his 12, there were also other followers of his who were with him. He had 12 apostles, but then he had also disciples, those who were students of his who followed with him. And among them were uh, many women, and uh, three of them are named for us here. Mary is the first one on the list, called Magdalene. Uh, she is not, according to some legends, the wife of Jesus or the mistress of Jesus, okay? He was not married, was single and uh, pure before God and tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So he didn't have a mistress and he was not married. He, uh, so this is Mary Magdalene, about whom much is written and speculated, uh, some of which is speculated that she was a prostitute. Now, the reason why some people say that is because she was from Magdala. She is Mary Magdalene. Magdala was located right along the Via Maris. It was a major trade route that that went from Africa all the way through the Middle East. And so because Magdala was a town that was located just on the western side, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, along a major trade route, it is believed that that would be a place where people would find lodging. And as people came for lodging, you know, in some small towns where there was lodging, there were also some prostitutes. And so that's why people make the the connection that Mary Magdalene was probably a prostitute. And perhaps that's the reason why she had been demon-possessed, because when she had multiple sex partners, opened herself up perhaps to, you know, demonic principalities, all this kind of stuff. Listen, listen. That makes for speculation, but we have no biblical authority to uh, believe that she was a prostitute. So there are going to be a lot of people that have to apologize to her one day when they see her, okay? That's what I thought about. Yes, sorry, I got it wrong. Uh, But, you know, maybe she was, but there's no evidence that she was. So we shouldn't assume that she was and disparage her name just because there, there is speculation about it. She's from Magdala. Her name is Mary. But it does say that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. It's kind of a rare thing. When you think about the Gospels, how many women did you you see throughout the ministry of Jesus who had demons cast out of them? Most of the time it was men, and yet she was one, seven demons. So, you know, whatever her, her thing was... She must have been a trip. You know, you got seven demons in you. And uh, anyway, so let's move on. So, so then also in addition to Mary Magdalene, you have Joanna. She, she's mentioned here, the wife of Cusa. And Cusa, it tells us, was the manager of Herod's household. Now, Herod, we're talking about King Herod. So he had a manager of his household, which meant that Joanna traveled in different circles. She was kind of more, you know, higher up. She was kind of higher echelon, living the social life. It's interesting to note that here you have Mary Magdalene, so, you know, the, 
demonic diva, and you have uh, Joanna, a, a socialite, and yet Jesus brings together people from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures, and he brings them together under one banner that he is Lord. So you have this previously possessed woman, and you have a woman who travels in high social circles, and yet here they are together, as well as Susanna. Her name in Hebrew is Shoshana. It means literally lily, uh, as in lilies of the field, uh, and many others. And the interesting thing about the, the women here is that it tells us at the end of verse 3 that these women were helping to support them, that is the, the 12, out of their own means. So you stop and think about it. You know, Jesus had this moving ministry, this mobile ministry for three, three and a half years. Home base was Capernaum, but he traveled around. And, and with his 12, how did they eat? How did they take care of, you know, particular needs uh, while they were moving about in ministry like this? And the Bible tells us that they were supported in large part by these particular women. So here these women had a very tender and important ministry, just, you know, caring for and supporting them as they're traveling about in their ministry. And, and what an important role they had. Uh, sometimes it goes unnoticed, but it should be noticed and appreciated. Uh, these ladies helped to support Jesus and the twelve out of their own means. Now, as he's moving about, Jesus launches into teaching here, and he teaches a parable, which is found also called the parable of the sower. It's found also uh, in other Gospels, uh, uh, in Luke's Gospel, also uh, here in Luke, and also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And uh, so this is the first time we've come across this parable, if you've been with us through, this, through the study of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but if it, you know, it, when you first read this, and you hear about Jesus talking about seed that is being sown and, you know, different soils. Uh, if, if it's hard to understand, you're in good company because that's what the disciples uh, wondered also. Look at verse 9. It says his disciples asked him what this parable meant. So they didn't get it either. So if you feel like, you know, I, I'm having a hard time with, with this, it's okay because even the 12 didn't get it, and they had to ask for explanation. Now, Jesus says here something interesting in verse 10. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6, 9, when Jesus says, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Now, it sounds a little cruel. What does Jesus mean by that? He says, to you, the secrets of the kingdom are being explained, but I speak in parables to people, and, and as a fulfillment of Isaiah, though seeing, they don't, they don't get it. Though hearing, they, they don't hear it. And I think the best way to understand that is just by reading what Paul said. Let me just quote it to you. You don't need to turn there. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. This is what he said. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, what Jesus was saying, to his true followers, the things that he says, they're going to be able to discern. But to those who really don't believe in him as Messiah, they're going to sound mysterious. So no doubt there were people in the crowd, the religious leaders who objected to Jesus, didn't believe in him as Messiah, who were hearing him talk about, now there's a farmer who went around sowing seed, and some fell on the path, some fell on rocky soil, some fell on soil with thorns, and some fell on good soil. And no doubt there's some people in the crowd thinking, 
you know, I better do a better job sowing seed. You know, I think Jesus is trying to tell me that sometimes I'm a little reckless and I throw it on the path and I throw it on the rock. I mean, literally, there were some people there who, who were thinking that Jesus was giving some kind of a, an agricultural lesson here. And, and so what he's doing is he's speaking in parables so that those who follow him would be able to discern deeper spiritual truth. Now, the problem, though, is that even some of the most spiritual people have time, have a hard time discerning it. So his disciples call him aside. We don't, we don't quite get this. Can you explain it further? And he does. And so in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes along, comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, let me just tell you, one of the first things that happens with us, typically, is that we read this parable, we look at the four conditions of the soil, we see that, you know, the soil of the path, the soil on the rocks, the, the, the soil with the thorns, and the good soil. And the last one is the only really good point in the whole parable. And we instantly, what do we do? We start looking at the parable and we think to ourselves, which soil am I? I hope I'm number four. You are. You're, the fact of the matter is, it's not which of the four am I. The truth is, there's a little bit of all four in us. In every single one of us, what do I mean? Well, for those of you who take notes, parable of the sower, jot down this. The real question that Jesus is wanting us to understand, the real question that he's asking that we should know the answer to by, by what he tells us is, what hinders us from knowing the Lord and growing in the Lord? That's the real issue here. It's not so much who's saved and who isn't saved. Because he, he talks here in, in mixed metaphors. He talks about, you know, those who, who aren't saved, but he also talks about those who are most fruitful. So it's a little bit of both. It's those who don't know God and those who are not growing in the Lord. And, and he mentions here three things that hinder us from either knowing him to begin with or growing in him. And, and the first thing that he says here is that the seed is the word of God. So, so he's making that part clear. It's the picture of the word of God is, is being sown like seed. You know, even tonight, here we are, and I'm teaching through God's word here. And so, so the word is being sown. And what he says here is that there's a picture, however, he first talks about the path, seed that is sown on the path, are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes, Satan and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So really the first issue he addresses is that there are some people who do not know the Lord. They don't come to faith in the Lord because of the overactive work of Satan himself. That Satan is actively working to snatch the seed before it can even take root in your heart. Before you will even then acknowledge Jesus as Lord, Satan is working overtime to try to snatch that from you before you embrace it, receive it, and let it grow in your heart. 
Now, Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, small g, because the Bible tells us that this world is under presently under the control of the evil one. That's what John writes in 1 John. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we have to understand that part of Satan's tactics is to do what he can to prevent people from coming to the liberating knowledge of Jesus Christ, which makes it important for us to be praying for our loved ones and friends who don't know Christ. Because Satan is actively, spiritually, behind the scenes working to steal that knowledge of the truth that would set them free. Now, that isn't to give, you know, more power to Satan than he, than he deserves. You know, I, I don't like to ever, you know, give Satan more authority or more power than he has. I'm just simply saying that Jesus makes it clear, and so we have to understand the fact is that Satan is actively at work to try to snatch the truth from the hearts of people before they even believe it and receive it. You know people, I know people uh, in our lives who just f- for whatever reason, and a lot of times it, it probably has to do with this very issue, are just completely a wall to receiving the gospel of Christ. You, you know some people, are kind, they're kind of receptive, but you know, they're kind of just, well, let me explore, let me, let, me, let me just kind of figure this out a little bit. They're at least not you know, stonewalling you. But then there are some people who are just completely, completely opposed, completely blind, completely antagonistic towards the things of God. And in many cases, that is because Satan is working overtime to deceive their hearts to snatch the truth. And it is important for us to pray and to intercede on behalf of them so that the eyes of their heart might be opened that they would receive the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says one of the things that hinders us from even knowing him is Satan who was at work. But then he also says another thing that hinders us from growing in the Lord are times of testing. He says in verse 13, those on the rock, the seeds that scattered on the rock, another kind of soil, which has a shallow soil because it's on a, on a rock bed, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, Luke, this is a challenging section here because Luke uses a stronger word than Matthew does. When Matthew talks about those who hear and, are, and then after a season they fall away, Matthew, in Matthew 13, uses the word skandalizo in the Greek, which is meaning to be scandalized. In fact, in King James, in Matthew 13, it says they're offended. Luke uses a stronger word here. He uses aphistemi in the Greek, which, which literally means to fall away as in, as in apostasy. So he's stronger here in his language, and so it's difficult when you look at what Matthew uses and what Luke uses, you know, it's difficult to be dogmatic about this. But at the very least, I think what Jesus is saying is that times of testing, because that's what he says, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So whatever degree of falling away, you know, that's, that's between them and the Lord. The fact is that times of testing... When, when this world and difficulties and trials set in, it has the effect of stealing the joy of that relationship. Don't let that happen. We will all go through times of testing. We will all have times of difficulty. Don't allow those things to rob you of that relationship with Christ. There is a big difference, of course, between happiness and joy. We all get this, right? You will lose happiness or gain it in a minute. It comes and it goes. But joy is different because it's based on a relationship with Christ so that even when your world is falling apart, 
you're still able to say that the joy of the Lord is my strength because you have that relationship with him that is not this giddiness, but it is this constant realization that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And in that abiding presence of the Lord, there is joy even when the world is falling apart, even when your personal world is falling apart. So times of testing will often rob people. And so there's this challenge here. There's this exhortation. Don't, don't let times of testing rob you of that relationship with the Lord. And then thirdly, he talks about uh, in verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So the third thing that he says can hinder growing of the Lord are worries, riches, and pleasures. Now, uh, he talks a lot, the Lord does, about worries in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. There's a whole section, and when he talks about do not worry, you know, do not ask what shall we eat or what shall we drink or, or uh, what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. But your father in heaven knows that you need them. And then what does he say? John uh, Matthew six thirty three. Uh, for seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he will add all these things unto you for today has enough worries of its own. So don't worry about tomorrow. So Jesus makes it clear that that worry in life has a natural way of of just completely defeating us and filling us, our hearts with anxiety. And Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Your Father in heaven knows what your needs are. So seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and God's going to take care of you. That has to be paramount with us. So don't, you know, don't spend time worrying. We have to guard against our hearts that are given to worry. Riches. He adds riches here. Now, again, you know, listen, riches by themselves are not the problem. I had a man email me this week asking me a question about something, and, and I, I lovingly pointed out to him in his email that he, that he made an error in an assumption because a lot of people think that money is the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible says. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil, and that's very different. Money makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a terrible master. And, and so in 1 Timothy 6.10, when it talks about the love of money is the root of all evil, it's not money itself. And then in the rest of that verse, 1 Timothy 6.10, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And some, eager for riches, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The warning that Jesus is making here is this. And in fact, when Mark uh, quotes this uh, parable in Mark 4.19, Mark uh, says the deceitfulness of wealth. So you have to always, you know, balance Scripture with Scripture. So it qualifies for us what Luke says just when he says the word riches. Mark says, well, it's the deceitfulness of riches. And the deceitfulness of riches is when we convince ourselves that if I just had more money, everything would be fine. That's the biggest lie. You know, a lot of people have won the lottery. Their lives are not fine. They've squandered it. They've allowed money to go to their head. They have mismanaged it. It has become a poison. So money itself is not the issue. It is the deceitfulness of wealth. It is the love of money. And Jesus says between that and worries and pleasures, he adds, you, you may be robbed of growth in the Lord. Now pleasures, it's kind of a broad term. But in 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul, when he talks about some of the signs of the end times, one of the things he says is that men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There will be pleasure seekers. And even in our flesh... We will want to seek pleasure. And you and I, again, know people who 
don't have a solid relationship with the Lord because they're more concerned about wanting to make themselves happy and to seek fulfillment in pleasurable ways rather than denying self, taking up their cross daily and following Christ. And there is a call to dying to self. And if we are pleasure seekers, there's not much dying to self in that. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know